We don't have time to go through the entire chapter, uh, chapter 18, but uh, you are familiar with the context. This is one of the most familiar texts in all the Bible. Jesus has been betrayed by Judas, leading a contingent of Roman soldiers out to the Mount of Olives under cover of darkness to arrest him. He is then taken to the high priest where Peter, as you know, denies any association with Jesus, not once, but three times. And then Jesus is eventually taken to the chief priests, uh, excuse me, by the chief priests to, to Pilate because the Jews are not allowed to execute anyone by law. And so they want to compel the Romans to do it for them. And it's at this point, as Jesus is standing before Pilate, that he asks Jesus a few questions. In verse 33, he asks, are you the king of the Jews? In verse 35, what have you done? In other words, why are you here? What are the charges that are being brought against you? And then in verses 36 and 37, Jesus responds to Pilate and tells him that his kingdom is not of this world. To which Pilate responds, so you are a king. Kings have kingdoms. Kingdoms are headed by kings. So you are a king then. And then we have this exchange. Jesus answered and said to him, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Everyone who is of the truth listens to the voice of Jesus. To which Pilate cynically replies with the question, what is truth? It's a good question, but it's just not an honest question. Uh, Pilate is not concerned with what is truth. Pilate's making a statement. Nobody knows the truth. Who can know the truth? There is no truth. And it's this cynicism that's coming from a, a government official. People who we presume have some grasp of what is false and what is true. And what's truly tragic here is that the embodiment of all truth is standing before Pilate when he asks the question or makes the statement. Truth in human form is being judged and condemned by a man who has just admitted that he doesn't know what truth is. Several passages that come to mind when we consider this idea of the truth. Look back at John chapter 14. John 14. Judas has just left the upper room to betray Jesus, and now Jesus is addressing the 11 disciples. And he tells them that he's going away, and they, they cannot immediately follow him, but they know the way, he says, they know the way to where he's going. And then Thomas speaks up, and I can easily imagine how Thomas says this. Thomas said to him in verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How, 
How are we supposed to know the way? Paraphrasing, but to get the, the, you know, the gist of his mindset. We, how are we supposed to know where you're going? Or how, is, how are we supposed to know the way to where you're going if we don't even know where you're going? And then Jesus responds with these famous words, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus here states very clearly, he claims to be the truth. So when Pilate asked his sarcastic question, what is truth? Jesus could have rightly said, I am. I am truth. I'm the truth. Not just some truth, not a truth, the truth. Another passage that we often think of, or at least that I often think of, is in John 17. John chapter 17, at the conclusion of the Last Supper, with the 11 disciples, beginning in verse 1, uh, Jesus prays his final prayer prior to his arrest. He prays for the disciples and for those who will come to the Lord Jesus as a result of their witness in the world. Then he prays these words in his, what is referred to as the high priestly prayer. In verse 17, he prays for his disciples, sanctify them in the truth your word is truth. God's word is truth. What well, is not simply true, but it is truth. If you want to know what the truth is, the truth is whatever God says. And these days of misinformation, do you know that I didn't know this? I had. I, Again, you know, I, I, try to, I try to define my terms. I, I wasn't sure what the difference was between misinformation and disinformation. Misinformation is accidental, not intentional. Disinformation is a lie, an intentional lie. We're trying to lead people astray. And there's plenty of it. Fake news would be disinformation. And then we have fact checkers, and then we have false fact checkers, and then we have false narratives, and, and we have come, we, we have become a culture that is apparently very easily manipulated by the media. And it would be very easy for us to become as calloused as Pilate and sarcastically ask the question, what is truth? My brother was recently visiting with me. Uh, he's the primary reason I got off Facebook because I got tired of having to apologize for him. That was supposed to be a joke. You know, we're supposed to know. <laughs> He, he was visiting, he said, uh, he said he didn't know what to believe, he didn't know who to believe, so he decided he's not going to believe anything. And, and, you know, I feel his pain. Thankfully, there is one thing he does believe, which is the gospel, which is the truth. Fewer, fewer and fewer people seem to have much of a conscience anymore. Uh, taking the oath 
in court to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God, seems to have become a quaint relic from years gone by and just a, just a tradition. It seems that no one actually expects anyone to tell the truth and nothing but the truth on the witness stand anymore. Marriage vows are, in many people's minds, just a technicality. Little more than a tradition practice for some unknown or, or very fuzzy reasons. Most politicians in whom we place our trust to govern us with some degree of wisdom and discernment have proven repeatedly that they are not worthy of that trust. But should any of that surprise us? What's the answer? No. In fact, I get tired of being shocked and surprised by the things that should not shock and surprise me at all. You know, I, I, I get all bent out of shape about something and it's like, well, what, did, what do we expect? How do we expect a fallen world to act? Why would we expect people who have no interest in the gospel, no interest in God to be conscientious about always telling the truth? We shouldn't. That shouldn't surprise us at all. How easily we forget that the kingdoms of this world are under the influence and control of Satan, who is the father of what? One person in this room knows that Satan is the father of life. When he's speaking, he's lying. And he runs the world. We forget that men and women in their natural, unregenerate state have no genuine concern for righteousness or holiness or God or truth. So in a very real sense, Pilate, when sarcastically asking the question, what is truth? He's a reflection of the world. He's expressing the sentiment of the entire unbelieving world in asking that question. He's not concerned about what is the truth. He doesn't think that it's possible to even know it. Not long ago, uh, I, don't, I, I guess y'all know this, once a month the elders' families get together for dinner. And a couple weeks ago we got together over at Pastor Dave's house and uh, I made a reference to the Borg from Star Trek. And none of them knew what I was talking about. <laughs> I was shocked. I, I was truly shocked by that. You don't know who the Borg are? And, and that being the case, I'm a little hesitant to say anything about the X-Files. Because I'm afraid I'm just going to get this blank study. I mean, y'all know about the X-Files, don't you? Thank you. Thank you. Mulder and Scully, two FBI special agents, right? And it's, and it's their task to chase down all this weird, supernatural, extraterrestrial stuff that's going on everywhere, right? That's, that's their job. That's what they do. And at the, at the end of the music that introduces every episode, across the screen would be the phrase, What? The truth is out there. 
the truth is out there. And that was their, that was their desire to figure out what the truth is. Beloved, we know what the truth is. Do we not? The truth is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the truth. The truth is not just out there, it's right here. We have the truth of the scriptures, God's word. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We have the truth. The truth is the word of God, both written and in the flesh. Turn with me to John chapter 7 for just a moment. John chapter 7. Look at verse 14 with me, please. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews, therefore, marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but it is his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. There are things that we know, that we know. We know the truth. And the question that we're often asked is, how do you know? I mean, how do you know these things are true? Prove it to me. Show me. Give me some evidence that all the stuff that you say is true is true. Well, the scriptures tell us how we know. Here in verse 17, Jesus says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know. He will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. So how do we know that the gospel is true or that it is truth? How do we know the scriptures are reliable? How do we know that Jesus is the real deal? How do we know the truth? Skip down to verse 28. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true. And him you do not know. I know him. For I come from him and he sent me. God is true. God the Father is true. He is the one who sent Jesus into the world. And Jesus knows him because he came from him. Verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So how do we know that the gospel is true? We know that the gospel is true because of the effect that it has had on us. Truth is not all objective. It, it has a subjective effect on us when we believe it, when we understand it. You will know the truth. The truth will set you free. The effect that it has had on us is that it has set us free. It is a work 
of God that causes us to believe it and to know that it is true. Because of the miracle of grace that accompanies the preaching and the hearing of the gospel, we know that it's true. I've, I've shared my own testimony with probably most, if not all of you, in times past. But I do remember the moment when the gospel made sense. And it was like stepping out of the dark. I, someone had shared the gospel with me. I didn't, I didn't understand it. I mean, I understood what they were saying. I understand English, but I don't, so what? I mean, what does this, I, I don't get it. And then I got it. I, it. It just happened. It's something that happens to us. This realization that what we have heard is true. That happens to us as a result of a miracle that takes place. It's the miracle of grace, of saving grace. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith, and I would, I would say, he's, he's speaking of saving faith, the faith that saves. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Saving faith is something that comes to us, that happens to us as a result of hearing the gospel empowered by the Holy Spirit. This faith, faith that comes by means of the gospel message, that faith itself is a confidence that what is being preached is true. This is not theory. Can I prove it? No. I know it's true. I just know. I know that I know. How? Because of the work of God in my heart, in my mind. It's the truth. That is something that happens to a person. This text uh, in Romans is not saying everyone who hears the gospel is granted faith and an understanding of, a of the gospel. Billions of people literally have heard the gospel preached and not believed it to be true. But those who do believe it, who know it is true, are caused to believe it and understand the truthfulness of it by the internal workings of the Holy Spirit upon the heart, upon the mind, and upon the conscience of a person. In other words, we as believers, we recognize and we embrace the truth of the gospel by God's enabling. This is actually the definition of saving grace. It is a grace that enables us to grasp the truthfulness of something that previously was foolishness and ridiculous and we wanted nothing to do with it. It's God's spirit that causes us to grasp the truth that Jesus actually, truly bore our sins in his body on the tree. How do you know that? I just It's just true. I know it's true. 
It's God who causes us to believe that he actually died and that he actually and truly was raised again from the dead and he's alive even as I speak. It's God who causes us, causes us to believe that this death that he died was an actual, factual, substitutionary death which genuinely satisfied the wrath of God against us and truly sets us free from the actual condemnation that we actually deserve. These are all things that are true. And this is the means by which we become believers, by God causing us to recognize the truthfulness of all these things. We know this is true because we've been made to know that it is true by God himself. And all God's people should be saying, amen. I mean, if I don't get an amen by your free will, I have to ask for it. All right? I have to provoke it. So we, we should understand and not be shocked at all that all of this is, all of what I've said to you is a totally unacceptable explanation for the skeptic and the unbeliever. They do not accept that. It's just, that is so subjective, and you haven't proven anything to me. You mean you're telling me that you believe the Bible because the Bible says that it's true? No. It's true because God has convinced me of it. By his spirit, I, I just, I know it's true. My heart has been changed. My mind has been changed. I accept this, I embrace it, I'm willing to die. That's the extent of the change that takes place in the heart of the person who hears and believes the gospel. That's the explanation. Here's how we explain it to each other, okay? They don't understand it. They can't grasp these things. Here's how we explain it to each other. Colossians 1, verse 13 and 14. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 say, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. In other words, from that d domain where everybody is saying, what is truth? From that domain where everybody says, what did God really say? That's the domain of darkness. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us. He has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, who is the truth, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's a work of God to take us out of the dark and bring us into the light. He transfers us from one to the other. He opens our minds to understand the truthfulness of all these things that we've been talking about. And, and you, you say that to an unbeliever, and that may be, it's, it's true, and it's just rejected out of hand. Unless, unless in the sharing of this, how you know that these things are true, the Holy Spirit accompanies that and causes your totally unacceptable explanation to land in their hearts. And God causes that seed to grow and produce a crop and causes even the skeptic to realize what he's saying is true. It is true. I believe it. This is truth. 
This is the truth of our having been set free. The truth of the gospel has set us free from bondage to sin. This is the effect of the truth. We've been set free from the deceptions of the evil one. We've been set free from the domain of darkness, free from the condemnation we deserve, free from death and hell. And it is the truth that grants us this liberty and this freedom and this eternal life. It's from the truth of the word of God. So why does it matter? Why is the truthfulness of the gospel so important? Well, because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that if, if these things that we have believed are not true, then we are of all people everywhere, we are to be most pitied. pitied we're more pitiful than anybody else in the world if we have just believed a pack of lies. If Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, then everybody rightly should have pity on us because we're so stupid. We're so foolish as to believe something so ridiculous as the resurrection of the dead. And I was there once. I was in that domain of darkness. That's what I thought of these things. I don't anymore in case you didn't know. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We do not worship the Lord Jesus, and we do not believe these truths and we do not persevere in this faith in vain because it's true. And all God's people said, Amen. Pastor Dave asked me to lead our prayer team, our prayer meeting.